The Koi Gig Pod. Who is this serving? And what is the end goal? Would be kind of nice to know. I feel like we haven't had quite enough Irish bias this year, so I am quite happy to see this. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Keen Tracy, the Irish Independence with us. Keen, good morning to you. Hey lads, how are we? We have breaking news on the future of Eddie Jones this morning, right? A press release has just dropped in our inbox at 7.59 with big, big news. Eddie Jones will coach Barbarians FC next May against the Steve Hansen-led World 15 at Twickenham. I mean, you scared me there for a second because hey. I was sitting outside on my phone <laughs> like, and I was what? like, I didn't get any email into my inbox, so yeah, you must be on a special list. Uh, yeah, interesting, but... Back to England in May, just mm-hmm. to stick their life in for everybody. It's yeah. perfect. It seems like Australia, the Wallabies, so are kind of hovering, doesn't it? And it almost kind of reminds you of the Warren Gatlin situation where he's kind of flirting with Wales that, oh, I'm here, I haven't gone away, you know, so... <laughs> Be interesting. Um, what will he do with? Will he get the big job, or will it just be a consultant for a period of time, and then? I can't see them ditching Dave Rennie at this age. Even though, like, if you think back to that Wales Australia game, which was the the last game of the autumn, um, if Australia had lost that, he Dave Rennie probably would have been the one to lose his job. Oh, and not, would have kept it. Uh, yeah. So it's like it, it just shows how, how fine the margins are. Um, I would imagine if if the Australian Union get him in, it would probably be like something they did in uh, South Africa did in 2007 when Eddie Jones came in as a consultant. But, I mean, for Dave Rennie, he probably won't have much say in it anyway because the people above him will be making the decision. But there's an element of Turkey's vote for Christmas, isn't it? Um, yeah. Particularly when he was under so much pressure. Yeah, there's, I guess that's one way of looking at it. The other thing is that it looked clear like he has a gig with the USA. Mm. I mean, certainly it has been long touted that he's going to get a massive long-term deal with them to take him through two World Cup cycles this is Jones so maybe you bring Eddie Jones in and you show oh, look I'm, I'm a big man you work with him for the short period of time up to the next World Cup and then away he goes and you get the benefit of it like that's if, if I'm trying to spin it in a positive mm. way for Dave Rennie you can come out of this looking good and being the bigger man for the better of your country but then again, if it goes really well, people will say, oh, this is Eddie Jones has come in and kind of turned things around and then all of a sudden you're out of a job. So I don't know. I think a lot will probably depend on Eddie Jones, where he sees himself. There's probably a bit of an element of almost Cristiano Ronaldo, like where does his ambitions lie? Going to USA is a very, very different task. They obviously are going to host the World Cup. That is a job like building from scratch. Like they don't clearly don't have the, the caliber of players, but Eddie Jones would put systems in place there. So that's very different than going to a World Cup, we'll say, with the likes of Australia, who, who are probably dark horses, really. I mean, it, it got overlooked this year. They didn't have a great year, but they had so many bad injuries. They gave Ireland a really good game at the Aviva Stadium. So if they can get players back fit, so I think, they're, and they're in the good side of the draw, as we keep saying when we're in here. So, um, you never know. So yeah, like it, it just shows like how fickle the, the, the whole game is when, that, that, there was so much riding on that Wales Australia game. You're hearing of all these the English lads coming out now saying mm. oh, it wasn't all Eddie Jones's fault. And I mean, like uh, surely the, that the players were actually yeah like, cons- like, re- consulted about this whole thing. So was that it- was a major part of the the review that Conor O'Shea was undertaking, like was going around asking the players. So it's interesting. You've seen Owen Farrell come out like he's never going to come out as England captain and and slate Eddie Jones. But someone like Lewis Ludlam I saw came out like you wouldn't say he was a, a first team starter at all. Anthony Watson has come out. So um, it's all well and good what you're saying in public and this is probably part of the reason why the IRFU never really want to release uh, public findings of their review because 
they are supposed to be kept, you know, some way confidential because, you know, people are going to be much more honest behind the scenes. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't really surprise me the likes of Watson and Farrell uh, coming out, backing him because Eddie Jones was played a massive part in their career as well. But I think I read in the one of the papers this morning, Anthony Watson describing Eddie Jones as a world-class human and, and stuff like this. But again, they're senior players within this setup, so perhaps not that surprising. Could I say anything else? Exactly, yeah. You know, because <laughs> if you say anything, like Steve Borthwick will be looking at you going, so you're disloyal in public <laughs> to the last guy? What are you going to say about me? Yeah. Um, you don't want to be... You're uh, not going to be that. You don't want to be the early one putting your head above no. the parapet. You yeah. know. wait for the books to come out. I was going to say, yeah. when somebody's paying you and there's a serialisation... <laughs> Owen Farrell's book comes out in a few years, you'll, you'll get it all. No, I doubt it. I think he's, he'd think he's like his dad. Um, he, he seems to be. He seems to be... Yeah, he's got very much cut from the same cloth, yeah. Steady, steady hand. Yeah. Um, we we get a lot of trouble from not talking about Connacht uh, ever on uh, when it comes to European weeks, but you know qualify for the European Cup and then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll prioritise you. But in fairness, Connacht picked a B team and played really well, and not a B team, but certainly uh, not their full um, strength side. And Andy Fern was very clear about it: like we have strength in depth, but we have to be brave to use it. And they were brave and they got the rewards. Yeah, like that was always the big question. Like, were they going to put all their eggs in the URC basket to try and get back into the Champions Cup that way? Or, but like, you know, the Challenge Cup is a potentially a trophy they could could win. But when it gets to the latter stage of that, you're going to have teams dropping in from the Champions Cup as well. So it does get more difficult to win. It's probably a smart approach, to be fair. You know, spreading the talent and they they do have good players coming through Connacht over the last few years, and it's just trying to gel them all together. And I think I was making this point maybe. The last one, the last time Zamachi, like the big thing for Connacht at the moment is not letting the, the season peter out that Andy Friend is leaving. Um, you've you've seen it happen so many times in all different sports. When you look look at Munster, for example, last season, uh, it just kind of like fell away towards the end of it. Um, I don't get the impression that will happen, particularly because you have a guy like Pete Wilkins in there who is definitely the strong favourite to take over from Andy Friend. So you wouldn't imagine the standards are going to drop, but. Connacht have left themselves in a tricky position in the URC but if they're able to pick up wins in the Challenge Cup like they're going to Breve on Friday night now like I mean that, that'll be Breve at bottom of the top 14 I think I'm right in saying but going back over like they've sacked Jeremy Davison this season they've got Sammy Arnold who was playing for Connacht up until recently um, so that's not going to be easy a Friday night game but if they can pick up wins in the Challenge Cup all of a sudden they get a little bit of momentum and they go back into the URC then in a much better place because that performance against Munster a few weeks ago was so disappointing after just before the break they'd racked up I think it was three wins in a row against the Welsh team so they've already done their tough part of the season by going to South Africa the other provinces also have been there Munster and, and Leinster haven't been yet um, so they do have a, a good chunk of the difficult part out of the way but it is still trying to manage your resources because there's no doubt they don't have the same strength and depth as mm. as the other provinces but when you have younger guys coming in like Dermot Kilgallen these kind of guys uh, Paul Boyle like leading from the front he's, he's obviously been a good leader for them as well um, it's encouraging but it's not surprising to see that they're going to focus on the URC They really are like <clears throat> I know they rotated last year but I suppose they had the benefit of even when their games postponed for COVID, you can rest players regardless. Mm. But now all of a sudden they're properly rotating the team, which is, I don't know if it's Andy, Andy Friend saying in his last year he wants to really do that. But I mean, I guess the Challenge Cup gives you the opportunity to test those players out. Yeah, and like the thing is, like you have guys who you know you need to manage people's minutes. Now they don't have that same issue compared to other provinces because simply by the fact that they don't have as many Ireland internationals. Even someone like Bundyaki only came back in and ordinarily would have played a much bigger part for Ireland if he hadn't have been suspended. Like Jack Carty's been been out of the setup, so they do have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of managing the resources. But if they can get the younger guys in around the, the likes of a Bundyaki and a Jack Carty, that's the best way to do it. I've 
I think that's one of the things that Leinster, Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster do brilliantly is that when they are enhancing their strength and depth, they don't necessarily throw loads of young lads in at the same time. They pair them up with experienced guys. So for ages, you saw James Ryan playing with Devon Toner because, you know, that like, you know, learn off this guy. So I think Connacht, if they can do something similar this weekend, I don't necessarily know if we'll see Bundyaki starting going to breathe at the weekend because you're just risking him picking up an injury when yeah. you need him for the URC, particularly over the, the festive period, which we know is so busy. Let's talk about Leinster. Um, they played Gloucester side who had to come from behind at home against Bordeaux at the uh, opening one, but they did manage to come from behind and they did score four tries. So they are on five points. What kind of form are Gloucester in other than that coming here? They're decent, but there's a big discrepancy, I would say, in the Premiership this season. Saracens are back and they're leading the way comfortably out in front. Um, yeah, like, I mean, Leinster will, will pay them the full respect, but I would imagine they this is five points, um, written all over it for, for Leinster at home, particularly in how they played last week. I mean, Johnny Sexton and Tyg Furlong started running at the end of last week, but there's absolutely no sense that Leinster are going to rush them back this week because they don't have to. I think if you had, Maybe, and no disrespect to Gloucester, if you had like a La Rochelle or someone coming to the RDS, there might be a bit more sense of like get these guys back. But there isn't. You have Ross Byrne played well in Paris, or La Harve last week, and Michael Alatoa did. So that just sums up maybe the sense of, I don't think there'd be complacency at all from Leinster's part, but they're in such a good place at the moment that they don't need to rush these guys back. And yeah, I wouldn't. I, Gloucester could put it up to him in the early stages but I mean yeah I, I think it just says five points written all over I just it. checked the, the spread it's 22 points 22 yeah there you go wow yeah that is and that's probably not going to be too far wrong I mean if you look at how well Leinster played last weekend they were sensational it's like watching Ireland I thought at times which is easy to say because you've got the same personnel but it's different systems but it's just the way the, the shapes they're running Um We've spoken so much, and I know you guys have as well, about the importance of the quick rock ball. And Leinster, I think I saw Ross Hamilton had 3.09, was the fastest of any of the teams over the weekend. And it was interesting, actually, uh, Opta had stats up that before the tournament that La Rochelle had were the the team that were able to slow down uh, opposition rocks the most. I think it was 4.39 was their average. So when you put those two stats together... When Leinster lost the the semi final to La Rochelle two two seasons ago, the, everything that was being built up to beat a team like La Rochelle, and then of course they played them in the final and they lost again. But I get the sense that they've gone away again and they've doubled down on everything they're doing at the moment is trying to beat a team la, la, like La Rochelle. And when I saw those two stats together, the the rock speeds, it was kind of you know this is clearly the focus that they've put on. But you look at the the pack, the, the pack looks a bit beefier with Jason Jenkins in there, Ryan Baird in the back row, uh, looks have a little bit more of a, a balance, a bit more punch. So, uh, yeah, they're in a good place for sure. It's uh, a funny position for Leinster to be in because even the lads on <clears throat> Monday Night Rugby last night talked about the fact that anything but a Heineken Champions Cup win is a failure of a season, which is a remarkable bar to be setting, but I guess that's where Leinster are. Like Stuart Lancaster's only won one Champions Cup. Like, it's crazy. Like, if he leaves at the end of the season with one Champions Cup, I think he himself would admit that there's an element of failure might be too strong, but they judge themselves on the highest standard. So, no matter we what we guys are saying here, they say that internally as well and have gotten so close because they have been there, thereabouts all the time, but have fallen short. It's just not good enough for a team like Leinster when you look at the coaching staff that they have and also the playing squad. So, um, they're still clearly hurting from last season you have the added element of Stuart Lancaster leaving that's huge motivation for him from a personal point of view it's from a squad point of view and then Johnny Sexton's probably last season you never really know with him but probably going to be last season there's a huge amount of motivation there's definitely a sense that it's now or never for this particular Leinster squad purely by the fact that like they're going to have coaching change over next season like I mean we were talking to Robin McBride yesterday he's obviously been linked with a return to Warren Gatlin's backroom team and he's kind of playing that down 
You've got Andrew Goodman on the coaching staff who's getting really, really high praise. He could be a guy who could step up and take on more responsibility uh, when Lancaster leaves. Will Sean O'Brien, will something similar happen? Because it's going to be very difficult for Leinster to go out and get a direct like-for-like replacement for Lancaster who does attack and defence. So unless they, they magic someone up, I'm not really sure who, who could do both to that same standard or else you might see a restructuring of the coaching staff. Was it your piece or Rudd's piece that was talking about uh, the long-term, the medium-term future where uh, apparently David Nusifor is, is finished at the end of this next contract? Is there a general consensus he's leaving? Yeah, that seems to be the sense. All right, I don't think he has said it explicitly, but definitely seems to be the sense that he is on his way out. Yeah, I think that he might have even left before, but he's kept on just to get the succession plan. And you're going to ask me about Leo Cullen. Yeah, so... I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it keeps getting mentioned, but like Leo Cullen keeps his cards very close to his chest anyway. Like, it's such a different gig to go into the IRFU and be. I, I don't really get the sense that it would be Leo Cullen's cup of tea. It'll be very, like, it's going to be very interesting to see what Leo Cullen does next season. Like, I'd be shocked. He's going to stay on, but he's obviously been signing these one year rolling contracts which every time it gets announced you can kind of feel the sense of panic from, from Leinster fans and he obviously has his own personal reasons uh, for doing that but with Lancaster gone like there's going to be far more of an emphasis on uh, Leo Cullen because he does a lot of the, kind of the, the forward play but he's going to have to take on more responsibility I'd imagine on the pitch is that something he wants to do I'd imagine it is so taking on David Nusifora's job is very, very different to you know running Leinster day to day. So um, I think he'd be very good at it, but yeah, I don't know. What, the, like, he, he would be very good at it, but you'll have. I, I guarantee you now. For me having said that, you'll probably have Munster fans and Ulster fans saying, "Oh, you, you should get someone from the outside because there'll be natural bias." But I don't get that sense with Leo Cullen at all. I think, or else we be, should use the most successful yeah, person in Irish. Yeah, that's be, the flip side. Yeah, you know, but he he's such a steady hand. Like you look at the job that he's done at Leinster. Like we've all said, like the, the fact he got Lancaster in at a time when we talk about uh, Eddie Jones and Dave Rennie Turkey's yeah. voting for Christmas we definitely probably would have said the same thing about Leo Cullen when he got short Lancaster in the time I know he was going to damage goods after the World Cup but getting a guy that experience in and it's worked so well so I think he would be brilliant at the job and maybe somewhere down the line he might look at it but I would be surprised if he took over from David Nusifora but I could be very wrong on that um, uh, he got Graham Henry and even before that as mm. well to show that like yeah happy to learn um, the, the, the stuff they do with the Crusaders like the, he's a brilliant networker yeah. uh, like opening up all these different avenues and tapping into different resources and that's a huge part of Leinster's success yeah yeah. so like if you're the IRFU there aren't many other internal candidates for that role no like someone like Conor O'Shea but he's obviously been over at the IRFU and it's still like really not fully clear what his job is like I said he's been going around he's a key part of the review at the moment but it's difficult to get a sense on what his actual role is but someone like him Clive I think, Woodward not a big fan <laughs> no no. Clive Woodward isn't a big fan of many people it seems um, but, Clive Woodward obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it seems like he, he, someone like that would be a good fit whereas Leinster I think need Leo Cullen over the next couple of years with Lancaster even because he's going to leave a massive void Okay. Um, the Munster performance at the weekend, obviously, it, it creates a, a lot of difficulty for them in this competition, as you were pointing out today mm-hmm. in, in the Irish Independent. Uh, the old tournament, with all its flaws, still gave you an opportunity to get back in, into it. But like, once you lose one of these games, you're really up against it. Yeah, they are. I think the draw is relatively favourable, I would say, because we can obviously compare it to Ulster, and that's what I was doing in the piece today, whereas Ulster have back-to-back games against La Rochelle now, and you would not be confident of them picking up a win in either of them. And even if they did rally and put in a big performance this weekend, they're so inconsistent that you wouldn't have much faith in them going to France, getting the win after Christmas. So Munster back-to-back against Northampton are very, very winnable games. 
um, if they win in Franklin's Gardens on Sunday by the time Northampton come to Toman Park their interest could be out of it like I think they're in around six in the Premiership table if, if memory serves uh, so they're going to try and get into the playoffs so they might send over a weakened team then you're almost you're looking at five points and then you're back into it before you go to Toulouse whereas I just wouldn't have that same kind of optimism around Ulster so uh, yeah Munster have left themselves with their backs against the wall, but they've given themselves, I think, a good, a good solid platform on which to build. Um, like losing 39-0 away to Sale and losing narrowly to one of the best teams in the competition at home, I think are two very, very different things as well in terms of Munster and Leinster. Uh, we, we talked with Quinny a good bit yesterday about the, the travel being a factor for Ulster and the early kickoff, and he kind of explained from a player's perspective, it's just tough, like you have to force down the meal beforehand. Obviously, it is easier for the home team. They sleep in their own beds, and it's um, you know it's a significant enough difference. But it's not thirty nine nil. Like, no. oh, no. uh, we had very high hopes for Ulster. Yeah, like to be fair, I think I don't think Dan McFarlane used that as an excuse. He could have, but he didn't. And I would be more leaning to you now, albeit neither of us have been kind of professional rugby, so Quinny knows what he's talking about, but I think that can be overplayed a little bit as well. You look at Leinster, I know they didn't arrive until they, they still got there the night before, but they had a mad journey to get there as well. Like They had to get taxis from an airport, a bus didn't show up after a really long delay. Now, at least they got a, a proper night's kit the night before, but uh, yeah, Ulster in a, weird, a strange, a strange, difficult position. Um, the hangover from that RDS defeat is, is very evident, and their season now is threatening to, I would say, go off the rails, which is sounds a bit strong. But if they're to lose in, at home to La Rochelle, which is a very real possibility, particularly right. because Raj has come in and changed the whole culture around La Rochelle, like they're not going to send a weekend team to, to Belfast this weekend at all. They're going to be uh, all going to blood. Mm. Absolutely. They're champions as well. So uh, that is a very, very difficult task. Now, the flip side is if they get a, a win there this weekend, Ulster, it could transform the season. But I wouldn't be too optimistic. I think we're seeing continuously that they're so reliant on a particular few players like John Cooney is such a massive loss they, they lack control at half back when John Cooney isn't there because he almost plays the role as scrum half and out half and you know you've got Nathan Doak there who's still you know still very much developing and I think a lot of Ulster fans were probably annoyed that more of their players didn't get a look in with Ireland you look at James Hume was sent back up the road after that Ireland A game but we're probably seeing why Andy Farrell didn't pick a lot of these Ulster players like I mean Andy Farrell is a really has a really good eye for form and things like that and you know, we're seeing that now there's been big cries about why isn't Nathan Doak getting capped and I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks, particularly in the RDS when Leinster went after him and Cooney went off injured, that, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do, I think, in this Ulster team. And while they've they've done really well to get semi to semi finals and I know they got to a final in twenty twenty but they got hammered by Leinster there's still a big jump to go from where they were to get to that next level and I think Munster have kind of been similar enough knocking around that thing but you see how big the gap is to get there so um, I think there's there's questions over the, the mental maybe fragility of this of this Ulster squad I mean you look at the, the games they lost at the end of the last season particularly over in South Africa when Leinster were out of the equation in the URC they were never going to get a better chance to win it particularly because if they'd won over there against the Stormers I think it was uh, they would have had a home final so you I mean like if you're not going to get it then when are you so think back to Toulouse in the Champions Cup as well where they really should have won that game as well so um, there are question marks over them I think there's probably been a bit of an overreaction I've seen like a lot of angry Ulster fans online calling for Dan McFarland's head like it's yeah. so easy to forget the job that he has done yeah. like I mean we go back to Brian O'Driscoll's basket case you know not many people would have come in and wanted to go near that job he came in he steadied the ship and all of a sudden you're you know the expectations around the team suddenly change and it, you know people have short memories so um, they're capable of getting it back on track but I would worry for them with a back-to-back dates against La Rochelle who looked very good last weekend against Northampton as well Alright, Keen, great stuff thanks for joining us 
OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.